three weeks ago, uh, Andy and I were actually on a meeting. Uh, it, I was in my office, we were on Zoom, and we're solving all the world's problems, of course. It's a very important meeting. Um, and I hear the back door to my office open up, and then like little kid snacks, kind of, I couldn't see who was outside, but little kid snacks just kind of start flying into the door. I think I have a picture of it. And then like a little writing pad, and, but like I can't see out, and I, I see things, and I'm like, oh, okay, with the girls, this, this is my office in the, the back of the house. And they tend to come back because they know dad's back there working, which working doesn't mean anything to them. Um, and they see the snacks, and then Emery, our oldest, pops in, and she comes in with like so much excitement. And again, I'm solving the world's problems with Andy, and so I say, hey, babe, not right now, I'm, I'm working, you can't, you can't come to the office. And she kind of like brushes me off a little bit, like she's still like so excited to be back there and like brought all of her stuff and prepared. And I said, yeah, like, no, Emery, like I, I'm trying to do something and I need to be able to focus, can, can you leave? And then she starts to say no, and then it gets into me standing up and saying, Emery, you can't be back here right now, daddy's trying to work. And then so I, not aggressively, I, with my body, used my body to move her body out of my office and said, Emery, you can't be here right now. I grabbed a couple of her snacks and the things that she brought in, put them on the floor outside and said, Emery, you need to go back. And then she ran off crying. And I was like, that's right. I'm trying to, I'm working. I, I have important things to do. She needs to learn that she can't just come in and interrupt me all the time. And... That led me to, for all of us this morning, wondering, how do you do when you have interruptions in your life? When, throughout the day, throughout the weeks, throughout the months, throughout the years, it could be interruptions that maybe were surprises for you. There could be interruptions that uh, you kind of had an idea that could come or not, but I think there's a lot of interruptions in the midst of what you're doing and, and what you're up to, and how do you handle those interruptions? I would like to admit that I handle interruptions a lot better than I did in that moment, but I think, actually, I handle a lot of interruptions pretty poorly. What's interesting about that is, I don't know about you, you look back on the moments that you're interrupted by something, and then you respond, and then you have those moments afterwards, you're like, oh, gosh, I could have done better with that. I wish I would have responded better to that person. I, I wish I wouldn't have gotten so anxious about that thing because it wasn't as bad as I thought it was actually going to be. I, I wish I didn't get so angry. I, I, I wish, and, and over and over and over, we look back at those. And, and I, I bring this up to say, I don't think there's a way in which we're perfectly going to respond to interruptions in our life, the things that we weren't expecting, whether good or bad. But what's interesting is when we actually look at the life of Jesus, he was interrupted constantly. Like when we read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the, the, the four narratives about his life, they, they just breathe interruption constantly. We, we can see these in so many ways. I mean, he's in the middle of teaching, and if one of you just wants to stand up and start shouting something, it would just be like it was for Jesus and getting interrupted constantly when he's doing very important things and saving the world, right? He's fixing all the world's problems and people, yeah, they're about to go travel somewhere outside the city. And of course, we know at least one account, if not multiple and many that weren't even documented. And Bartimaeus is sitting there blind and he, he pauses the trip to actually care for the blind, which most wouldn't do. 
He's in the middle of grieving. He just found out that his cousin has just been beheaded. And he's like, all right, look, guys, I need, I need to actually get away for a little bit. I'm going to go find some silence on the other side of that lake. By the time he gets to that side of the lake, there's thousands of people waiting for him. And does he have frustration and anger towards them? No, it says that he has compassion for them. And then he goes on to feed them, miraculously driven by that compassion. He's at the middle of dinner. People, like real people, these are like, they call them Pharisees, like the leader, the religious leaders of the time, the elite of the elite. And he's in their home eating with them. And this not only poor woman, but also a prostitute comes in and interrupts the dinner and, and goes to him and, and starts washing his feet with her tears. Like, and they're all like, what in the world? Jesus, do you not know who this woman is? And you're letting her in? And he uses that moment to teach them about what he's up to and in his kingdom that's counterintuitive. In the middle of partying, yeah, partied. If you like to party, you can. Like, think about this. The very first miracle he does, he's at a wedding with his family. They're just hanging out. The wine starts to run out, and his mom goes, hey, Jesus, you can do this. Our mics have been giving us trouble lately, so I'm going to try this one also. And he is hanging out at a party, trying just to hang out. And his mom literally goes, Jesus, come on, the wine's out, do something about this. And he goes, look, come on, mom, it's not my time yet. He literally says that. And it's as if she didn't even pay attention to what he said. And she goes, hey, can you guys listen to him real quick? He's going to tell you exactly what to do to have more wine. And he's staying there like, mom, I just said, like, it's not, it's not my time. But then he does it. And he does the miracle anyway. It's like, it, it, that's the complete interruption to everything he had planned and the timing of how he saw things playing out. My gosh, he's sleeping on a boat at one point. How many of you wake up well when you're interrupted by sleep? And then he goes on, actually a little bit frustrated with them, so, you know. And then he just, like, calms the storm. And over and over and over again, Jesus' life is just interrupted. And I would think that he had a very intentional plan and was very clear on what he was up to and what he was doing. I mean, he said it himself over and over and over again. And yet, everybody was just interrupting him as if his time didn't matter. But then what's even crazier is he, it's then he like expects other people just to be interruptible. Like no big deal. Like there's a guy named Nicodemus and again, he's like a religious leader and he comes to Jesus at night and is like, hey, how do I do this thing? It's pretty clear that you're up to something different than what we're doing. It's pretty clear that you are who you say you are. What do I do? And then Jesus goes on to teach him and the whole thing about you got to be born again. And Nicodemus is like, dude, I can't climb back into my mother's womb. What do I do? And he just goes on to say, well, just do this and follow me. Change the way that you're living. There's a rich ruler that comes to him at one point and says, how do I, how do I inherit the kingdom of God? How do I go to heaven? And Jesus says, well, get rid of all your stuff and come and follow me. Simon, Peter, and Andrew are literally in the middle of fishing their trade, how they earn their money and their keep. They're, they have nets in their hand, and he walks by and just says, come, follow me. I will make you fishers of men. Did they have any idea like what he was actually saying? Matthew, a tax collector, 
a Jewish person working for the Roman government, betraying his own people. He had a clear mission, but like earning keep with the Romans was in their favor. And he's in his tax booth one day and Jesus comes along and says, follow me. And he just walks out of his tax booth and starts going. Like these people are giving up real things in their life and Jesus just acts as if it's no big deal. He goes around everywhere, interrupting the way in which they see the world, the thing in which they think they're up to. And then some people respond and we see most don't. He assumes it is if your and I's lives are supposed to be interruptible. I don't know about you, but I don't wake up in the morning thinking, I'm so like looking forward to how my day could just blow up and become so much different than how I planned it to be. Because I have these things on the calendar and I have that thing that comes every week called Sunday that like words need to go on a paper for so I can have an idea of what I'm going to, like, there's just, like, I can't, I got to prioritize that. And if this thing tries to creep in and if this gets interrupted and Emery pops in the room, I can't. There's moments I'm trying to pray and then like the phone goes off or like over and over and over again. And then there's bigger stuff. I mean, you and I are supposed to have a plan for our lives for like the next five years, right? Depends on what books you read and who you hang out with. Like that's who you're going to become in 10 years or whatever. But like we're supposed to have plans. And, and now I don't think God is one who does not care for us to have ambition, to have plans, to be, to be desiring things. Is I think God actually has placed things inside of us and wired us for certain things to look ahead, to have plans for, to prepare for, to, to do things with. We see it again throughout the scriptures over and over again. But there becomes this little delineation for us that I wonder if, if our lives are so interruptible like they are, you can think back to this last week, like what didn't go as you had planned this last month, this last year? It might be small things like you got stuck in traffic and relate to the thing or you forgot to pay the bill or something happens, or it's like real stuff. Like your life all of a sudden has been interrupted by losing a job. Your life has been interrupted by a health diagnosis. Your life has been interrupted by now needing to care for someone who has had a health diagnosis. Your life has been interrupted by the promotion you've been working for is actually going to somebody else. Your life has been interrupted by the change that you thought you were going to have for your kids that didn't happen. Your life was gonna, is interrupted because the person that you're with didn't see things the same and didn't want to be with you anymore. Like, over and over and over again. And it's especially hard when it's some form of grief, suffering, trauma. Heavy, I mean, those are massive interruptions. And, and how do we respond to those? There's also interruptions that we just simply do to ourselves. I want to name that. Like, thinking about interruptions coming in our life isn't to just pass something on to God and say, well, this is a crazy interruption. Everything happens for a reason and God must be in it. Like, well, actually, we have, like, self-responsibility also. We make decisions. We, we do things that interrupts our life. Now, the great thing is that God is constant and, and, and just in everything that he is, is, is patient and is loving and his goodness kind. So yes, God can be in everything. But so two things, this isn't to say that interruptions are excusable because of our inactions or our poor actions. 
It, it also is saying there's a, there's a difference when it's also like just these random things in the day that we care so much about, and then also like really bad stuff. As oppression wages, as, as wars rage, as, as, as certain things continue to happen. And I wonder how much of it for us in a very unique time, in a very unique place called America and, and the West in general, how, how much we just like believe our life is ours. C.S. Lewis says it this way that I appreciate. The truth is, of course, that one calls the interruptions are precisely one's real life. The life God is sending one day by day. What one calls real life is a phantom of one's own imagination. Simply, could there actually be more to your life than what you can see? Could there be more going on in your life than, than just what you have planned? Could, could it be that not everything that's supposed to happen is what you can see, and what you can see is everything that's supposed to happen? That there, there's actually something to our lives that, that isn't everything. So when I say my real life is getting interrupted, who's to say that that's what's supposed to be happening? Or could the interruption actually have more going on than I can see and that's the reality that I should be paying attention to? And it's hard because you and I can make plans. If you live in the slums of Calcutta, you can't make plans. And if you're in the barrios, like you can't, make plans. You, you don't have anything to make plans with. You're not looking beyond tomorrow and hopefully the next meal. I, I wonder if you and I are positioned in a place and a time that we falsely think our life is our own. It's the most real thing happening. Our plans, what we hope to see, the things we're preparing for. How often do you think about that one? how real your actual life is through the lens in which you view it? Or is there more happening to your life? And it's almost as if getting Jesus is, is offering us something, saying, hey, I, I know you have plans, and, and may you continue to seek plans that are, that are good and of me and right and for other people and not just about yourself. Like, keep being ambitious in those ways, but also may you pause and every once in a while ask the question, is this an interruption or is this an invitation? Is this an interruption to my real life or is this an invitation to my real life? Is this person an interruption to everything that I was doing or is whatever is going on with this person the thing that I should be most doing? Is this interruption in my life career-wise the thing that was so real that fell apart that I don't have anymore? Or is there something else that I can shift to? Now, that's not again to say that, oh man, everything happens for a reason and that like God is doing something. No, but God can be doing something in and through everything. If we pause and ask, is this an interruption or is this an invitation? And two things can be true at the same time. So where are you at right now? What's going on in your life that you've been interrupted by in this last year? What are the things that have come towards you or that have come from you or just simply around you? What are the interruptions? 
And have you paused to ask, all right, this is an interruption. What's the invitation? What's the thing that might be happening in real time that I may not be able to see right now? Because all I've been able to do is see what I think is real. And again, in the interruptions from light ones to heavy ones, God is not saying, don't worry, I'm going to do something good through that. No, God is grieving over the heavy and the hard and the worst thing. Over and over again, the scriptures are clear. God weeps with those who weep. He mourns with those who mourn. So this is never to negate the heaviness and the hard. But again, two things might be true, that in the heaviness and the hard, there's still an invitation of something that God might be up to. Because you are still here, you are still living, you are still being formed. Could there be something happening in and through you? What have you been seeing as interruptions lately? And what might you be able to pause and ask in this interruption? What's the invitation? So last week, uh, maybe two weeks ago now, um, I went on my annual silent retreat to Big Sur, and I go stay at a monastery. I took this picture to rub it in. Um, I also take this picture to invite you to silent retreats in the monasteries because I think they matter. Um, I know for me, when I get away, I can actually see things in a different way. Like it, it, it really does change a lot. Uh, and I drove down from this monastery that's silent. Monks live there. It's a whole thing. It's pretty affordable. They feed you. It's great. Um, but I had a spiritual direction session uh, right here. I was on the phone with my spiritual director. And I had been reading a book from Ronald Rollheiser called The Holy Longing that um, Andrew File had turned me on to. And in the book, he's talking about the ways in which he's trying to form people to realize that their life is not their own, and specifically like Benedictine monks. And what it would say over in the lines is that the bell would ring to call them to prayer. The bell would ring to call them to their work. The bell would ring, and they would transition to whatever was next. And he would say, whether you're dotting an I or crossing a T, when the bell rings, you get up and you move on to the next thing. Because the bell might be an interruption to whatever you're doing, but... Right now, it's the most real thing that you're supposed to be doing. So stop what you're doing and pay attention to the interruption because that's the invitation to the next thing. And so I'm on the phone with my spiritual director talking through this, and she asked me a few questions like she does. Spiritual director is kind of like a counselor or a therapist, but someone who is asking questions just through the lens of where's God at in your life? And where are you at in your life with God? Helping me to see God in so many more ways than I normally do. And she's asking these questions, and that little image of Emery popping into my office came up. And within a few questions, I'm in tears because I realize how poorly I handled that interruption. And she asks a few questions around it, and I'm ready to move on to stop crying. And then she asks a few more questions. She says, I'd be interested, Ryan. What, what did you miss in that? By seeing it as an interruption, what did you miss? I'm like, well, I think I, am, I missed, like, her joy. Like, like her, she was so excited. And I, and I missed the joy that she was bringing in to my office. And, and I just rattled a few things off. And then she goes, what do you think she missed? 
And then more tears. And we worked through a few things. And, and mainly what, it, what I really realized is like, me as her dad, who she's four, by the way, and our other one's three, I'm like a giant to them. And like someone who stands up and says, no, you need to leave, and quite forcefully has her removed, like that's terrifying. I, to pause and think about that for a second hurt a lot, still does in a way. And I'm not saying any of this out of like guilt or shame. I've worked through it well. Um, but what I think I miss in a larger way is I want my daughter to have agency in her life because I'm not just raising her right now as a four-year-old. I'm also raising the 25-year-old she's going to be. I'm also raising the 40-year-old that she's going to be. And especially as a woman, I want her to have agency in her life. Especially as a woman of mixed race and ethnicity, I, I want her to know that everything that she brings to the table is so worthy and valued because she is valued and she has dignity. And, and I want as someone of a, an adoptive birth narrative, I never want her to ever think that she's an interruption, but she's actually like a divine creation. And, and what, what, did, what did I miss? I, I missed a moment to be somebody that creates space for her to grow in agency. And that's not to say that we don't create boundaries around certain things. Like if they're popping in an office, I literally would never get anything done. So there's something about that. But what, what does it look like to say, hey, you can come back to my office any time. Here's, here's some of the ground rules to do that well so that we can keep doing this together. How can I invite her further into experiencing agency in her life? to where she can grow and know that, man, my dad loves me and supports me and will always create space for me. And I, I should take that into everything that I ever imagined to do. When I get so excited and joy-filled for something and I run back there and I've prepared, like I get to do that, whatever it is. And so I just started asking different questions. Was that an interruption or was it an invitation? So for you, all the things you're experiencing in life right now, where are the invitations amidst the interruptions? And what if we just paused a little bit more? I'm in process on this. I'm bad at this. I'm grateful to be able to preach sometimes on the things that I am working through in real life. Every once in a while, I'm like, I got this down pretty good. Every once in a while. And then it falls apart when I think I got it down. But like if we pause longer because God is so much bigger than what we can ever see. He's doing so much more than what's right in front of us. And everything that's in front of us, so much more is happening around it than what we can actually see. Because we are so limited in what we see, what we think matters, what do we think is important. Earlier I mentioned Nicodemus, he was a rich, or he was a religious leader that came to Jesus, came to him in the dark. A lot of theories of why. But he went on and asked, and he said, Why, what do I need to do? And Jesus says, follow me. Be born again. And he has this line in John 8, uh, on the 8th verse, and he says, it's like the wind. You don't know where it comes from or where it goes. And that's God's spirit. Everything that's happening in our life, if we were to pause and imagine it like the wind, we, we don't know where the wind is coming from or where it's going to go next. And very quickly, wind feels like it's intruding on the thing that we think we know where it's coming from and where it's going next. But what if 
God's spirit is the more real thing in our life that we can be open to, to say, God, where, where's your wind coming from and where is it going next? This thing that's about to topple over because of where your spirit's moving. Help me to, to let it topple and see where your spirit's moving. Can you and I be people over and over again that just pause and ask, man, God, what might you be doing in and through this? And yes, that means staying in the grief and the loss and the hard things. It also means having hope and faith and belief in what's next at the same time. Because what he's doing is new over and over and over again. His grace does not stop. His patience does not stop. His loving kindness does not stop. And then you and I in the interruptions actually get to participate in the things that he's more likely up to than what we are. Why don't we stand together?